0: It's your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy to be back for another day and a good show coming up. Chip Towers from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution joins me here in just a little while to talk about um, his recent piece on Gopher football being the last team to three-peat as a national champion, if you did not know that, the history goes way back, 1934, 1935, 1936. The Gophers under Bernie Bierman pulled that off. No other team has done that since then, and, of course, Chip Towers, interest in that is that he covers the Georgia Bulldogs. They are trying to do it this year after winning national championships each of the last two seasons. So he'll join me to talk about his recent piece, his research into the Gophers, and what Georgia has that might um, might be different than some of these other challengers. There's been like a dozen challengers over the years that have won two championships in a row and have come up short in trying to win a third. So that will be here in just a few minutes. At the end of the show, we'll get to some disappointing but not altogether um, damaging results in uh, from a few games on Tuesday night. Twins go for volleyball and Lynx fall into those categories. I'll explain why those were disappointing but also why they might ultimately be okay in the long run. First, though, what did I miss? Trying to make sense today of Vikings cutdowns. They, they had to trim their roster to... 53 players by 3 p.m. Tuesday. And they did some of the easiest work on Monday, releasing, I think, like 15 players ahead of the deadline. But they had a bunch of work to do on Tuesday. And I'm confused a little bit by what they're up to here. Uh, I guess my my overriding sentiment is this can't be it, right? This can't be everything that they're going to do. There's got to be some other pickups, some roster balancing that's going to come about now because right now i think ben Gessling did a great job kind of putting this into context in addition to um, our colleague and fellow vikings writer andrew kramer who had kind of the analysis position by position but ben put this into great context just kind of talking about you know what he was seeing from this whole thing his lead from today's story was perfect when, it, when i when i saw it i was like i was thinking the same thing about what i saw he said of the players on the Vikings' initial 53-man roster for the 2023 season, five have carried the ball at least 10 times in an NFL season. One is a running back, Alexander Madison. Two, Brandon Powell and Jalen Rager are wide receivers. And two, Kirk Cousins and, 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 and Nick Mullins are quarterbacks. Yeah, they've got one running back on the entire roster. Alexander Madison, who's carried the ball at least 10 times in a season. It goes on from there. One corner on the opening roster, that's Byron Murphy Jr., has played more than 200 defensive snaps in a single season. Yeah, there's a lot to take in there. I think the offensive line, running back, and corner are three areas where I would expect they are not done. There might be some more moves to come. I'm not exactly sure who that squeezes out in the end, but they have three true running backs. Uh, they have C- fullback C.J. Ham, then they also have Ken A. wongwu um, who's been hurt all of the preseason, and Ty Chandler, who had his moments in the preseason, but that is it. That's what they've got at running back. I would imagine they're looking around at other teams' cuts and saying, "We we've got to have someone with a little bit more veteran experience or at least ready to go when needed, because I don't think they can go into the season, especially with Madison being, you know, not unproven in the NFL, but unproven as a starter. They're already asking him to fill into some pretty big shoes with Dalvin Cook moving on. So that's one area. You look at the offensive line. There's only eight offensive linemen. Your swing tackle is Oli Udo at this point. Um I mean it's it's not It's not great. I mean, their starting five are are okay, and there's some continuity from last year. You've got anchors with Christian Derrissaw and Brian O'Neill at the tackles. But if you're looking again at Ed Ingram and Ezra Cleveland as your guards, and then Garrett Bradbury as the center – your line has already got some question marks, especially the interior. If you're only keeping eight linemen and you've got some backup issues, I don't know. I, I think something's got to happen there. And then corner, they've got more safeties than corners. They've got six safeties and five corners. I know in the Brian Flores defensive system, they're going to deploy safeties in non-traditional ways. I know they're really high on Josh Metellus, and I would be too. I think he's shown some good things, but... Man, there's so much inexperience in the secondary like Ben laid out with with uh, Byron Murphy who's been hurt a lot in his career by the way being really the only experienced corner at any point this at any point uh, that they could, they could they could put out there right now. So, I think there's got to be more to come. I think I think you look at this and you say you applaud the decisions at a certain point because it seems like they kept the 53 guys that they thought were the best players in this moment, maybe regardless in a few cases of position. They kept a bunch of safeties. They kept four tight ends because they liked their tight ends. Um, they weren't married to draft picks from the past. I think they kept three undrafted free agents from this year. They cut some draft picks. Like It wasn't uh, wasn't playing favorites. wasn't like they just are going to stick with somebody just because they drafted them. So I like that. I think maybe that was a weakness of the Rick Spielman era that they would maybe keep guys too long because they were tied to them, because they invested in them, because their analysis they were stubbornly not you know they were stubbornly believing that they were going to be proven right at some point, and then it just kept going on and on for too long. So I like what they're doing to a certain degree, but right now this roster. Doesn't make a ton of sense. I think there's got to be two, three, four moves before the regular season starts to make this feel like it's a more complete roster. I think the top of the roster is still pretty good, especially on offense. Of course, you got Cousins. You got Jordan Addison, you got uh, you know Justin Jefferson, K.J. Osborne, T.J. Hawkinson, as long as he's healthy. The ear infection, the back, the contract, whatever it is that's, that's keeping him out for the preseason, as long as that's taken care of. The skill position is good. Defense has got a ton of questions, but... Still, I feel like this roster cut down was interesting because you looked at it and you didn't feel like it was complete. They always caution us, we're not done yet, we're not done yet. This is the time of year and this is the type of year and this is the kind of staff where I actually do believe that to be true. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine & Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. It is good to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Chip Towers, um, longtime writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and uh covers georgia football has covered all sorts of things there um born and raised in georgia you you've been there for a long time chip is that right yeah yeah i can well
1: uh i've been here so long that i can remember in my lifetime georgia's previous national championships uh now i'm not old enough to remember minnesota's previous national championships <laughs> <laughs> not a lot
0: of us are there's we're, we're fewer yeah. and far between now
1: I actually tried to find somebody that had some maybe uh, generational connection to those uh, uh, people that in, in Minnesota's glorious football past, but uh, was unsuccessful in that regard. But yeah, I uh, yeah, I have uh, born and raised in Georgia, and um, you've been around the university. My grandmother worked for the university, so uh, kind of go you know way back in, in in that regard and familiar with its history. Uh, and um, you know, it was only since Georgia finds itself in the position that it currently is, going for an unprecedented since Minnesota third straight national championship, that I kind of got curious and 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 wanted to dig up the Gopher story. And uh, uh, thanks to you, your your uh, outlet, and many others up there in, in Gopher Nation, uh, I was able to, to to learn a lot about that. Uh, you know really what's an incredible football history uh up there in minnesota and the readers down here at the atlanta journal constitution were certainly very unfamiliar with all that so i enjoyed getting a chance to sort of tell the gopher story to up to a new audience
0: and right like you said obviously telling that story because georgia going for a third national championship this year and a good chance to do it to be the first team since minnesota to do it i mean they're number 1 almost everywhere you you would look and have you know what we consider probably a good path to get there uh, we'll get to georgia in a minute i want to you know kind of circle back to the story you wrote kind of looking into the history of minnesota like what what did you find along the way that interested you surprised you i mean some i'm sure a lot of people here know some of this history but it was so long ago it's not necessarily like even it's not as common knowledge people sometimes are taken aback when they're like wait like this program this football program that has had a lot of struggles. I mean, they're they're better now. They're on solid footing now. But this program that's had so many struggles in re- recent decades, half century. This was the last program to win three straight national championships in the '30s.
1: Yeah, and and you know, so uh, in in doing that, obviously the the name that it, I'm sure you know most people at Minnesota are familiar with. Though, though I did find out, and the athletic also did a story on this, and they actually came up there to the area and and kind of talked to some fans that were at a scrimmage and, and could find very few people that were actually familiar with this history. But I, I would say my greatest takeaway is, is, is learning the greatness of of, of Bernie Bierman. Yeah. Uh, what an incredible uh, coach he was. And, uh, you know, on the cutting edge in, in, uh, of that day, you know, running the single wing and, um, doing a lot of stuff with an unbalanced line that was, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, new to the day and, you know, come to find out he was at Tulane. He was in the South. I think he had a cup of coffee at Mississippi State. Sure. Uh, and and then goes from, a I, I think, a Rose Bowl bid with Tulane, uh, gets hired by the Gophers, and, man, what a run. I mean, certainly it's different. I mean, you, it, it doesn't take much more than looking at the pictures when you see – you know, 16, 18 guys on the team. I mean, right. it was a different day. It was, two, you know, one platoon football and and all that kind of stuff. Winning is winning. And there were great yeah. teams in the 1930s uh, that he was besting and won a bunch of games in a row. Uh, and, I mean, it was no fluke. And, it, you know, there are some asterisk involved, you know, when you, when you look at the three championships, only the thirty six when the last one, as, as you, you know, came in what we call the poll era right. when the Associated Press started, you know. But really, even after that, uh, I mean, if you were Army or Notre Dame, you had a really good shot of winning it every year because that's just how the writers felt. Uh, Georgia has found itself – actually, their really first glorious time comes in the 1940s. And, you know, they won it in 42. They were given a, a – credit for it but they were undefeated in 46 and and didn't get it it went to army or notre dame the one and there was another year that they were really really good and they didn't get it but minnesota uh there was there was no fluke about it for the most part they uh were beating everybody they played they traveled by train to play uh big games in the day which was unusual um and uh uh just really did some some great things back then and then you also come to appreciate like we've seen in so many powers, even in modern day football, how important the coaching job is because, oh, yeah. you know, uh, he goes and serves uh, in World War II. Uh, Co- uh, Bierman did as a Marine. Uh, you know, he comes back. The same things were expected, the uh, winning at the same level they didn't. And, uh, you know, I guess he gets let go, you know, and kind of, I don't want to say the Gophers have been in a desert ever since because they have had pockets of, of great success, but, you know, obviously they haven't uh, knocked on the door of a national championship, uh, you know, since he was there. Right. Uh, so, uh, uh, so anyway, I find myself, you know, just kind of uh, interested and I hope the Gophers find the same, you are know, just interested in Minnesota. I can't wait to see what they do this year. I'd love to see Georgia get them on the schedule uh, at some point down the line. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just it was a fun story to write, uh, kind of to learn a little bit of history and 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 how they got to, uh, you know, how they got to where they were and, and where they are now.
0: Now, the Gophers fans these days probably aren't, you know, there's no animosity, obviously, but this is like a this is a record that this program has. They're probably not hoping that Georgia does what, Georgia hopes it does this year.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I, so I talked to a bunch of people, and and of course I talked to, to 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 guys that work with you and cover the team, and you know their objective, of course. But I did reach out to Gopher Hole. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, and talk to them, and 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 uh, they they were like, in "No, certain th- no, we you know we don't want Georgia <laughs> win. We were rooting against Alabama in in twenty thirteen. Yeah, uh, which was the last team that had a legitimate chance to do it and uh, and then Georgia this year. And as you alluded to, uh, you know, Georgia's got a real easy slate. Uh, and, and I don't know if your listeners are familiar with this, but, you know, Georgia was supposed to play Oklahoma this year. Yeah. And so they're kind of getting criticized nationally for their schedule, but they kind of had their biggest game, biggest non-conference game yanked out from under them. When Texas and Oklahoma joined the SEC, the SEC made them drop the uh, non-conference game okay, they had yeah. with Oklahoma this year because they'll be on, in the rotation next yeah. year. Now, I, I think they should have gone ahead and played it. Georgia was supposed to play uh, in Norman in the second game of this season. Instead, they're playing Ball State. So, little know, just, a little different. A little different. No
0: just, no disrespect to Ball State, but that's a little different.
1: Yeah, and, and they're opening against Tennessee Martin this week. They have Ball State and UAB in the month of – of September they have a home game against uh South Carolina for their SEC opener and they don't really get a challenge until uh week 6 when they when they travel to Auburn for a road game so it's kind of it's a weird schedule this year and it feels kind of like a a red carpet has just been kicked out in front of Georgia kind of back to the SEC championship and the college football playoffs so you know they they are changing at quarterback and they've sent 25 players to the NFL draft the last two years. So they're a young team, Um, but uh, they're loaded for bear, as we say around here uh, uh, in terms of the recruiting that Kirby smart has been able to do the last few years, Georgia has not finished outside the top five in recruiting and and generally they've been in the top three, if not number one, in the national recruiting rankings. And so they have a bunch of sophomores in particular. This is a strong sophomore team made up of, of a bunch of five-star prospects that are hungry to get their shot uh, on the field and prove they can be the next in that conga line that's been going to the NFL the last couple of years.
0: A lot of teams, I think mean, it was 13 teams, have had an opportunity to repeat. And, I you know, just kind of reading various things about you know how close how far away they were there was there's been a lot of points along the way where teams were very close definitely during like the the poll era where even some teams that went undefeated in that third try and just didn't didn't get it how do you as you kind of think about the history that's got to be kind of interesting now and do you do you feel like it's easier or harder now in uh you know in a playoff era where you can't just get voted you've got to win your games but if you get into at least the final four, there's nobody that can say you did or didn't earn this.
1: Yeah. You know, I kind of go back and forth on that because I mean, you know, certainly, I mean, college football is tougher now than it was in the 1930s. I think we'd all agree. I mean, it's just, it's just more complicated and you know, more players, more great players. Uh, Football uh, is an incredible sophisticated sport that's, that's come a long way. And, and, you know, uh, uh, among those teams that had a shot at three people, People don't realize this, but Georgia had a shot actually in the 1980s, so they won the 1980 national championship uh, with a guy that Minnesotans should be familiar with, Herschel Walker, a freshman. back. So he was a freshman, so he's coming back in 81 and 82, and Georgia uh, was able to play uh, for it in 82. They did not play for it in, in 81 in just the craziest fluke, uh, ever. They lost to Clemson in a regular season game and, and Clemson ended up uh, winning the national championship that year. And as you know, that was all the bowls. And uh, yeah. so Georgia's opportunity got closed on them really quick, but you know, there were great Oklahoma teams, great Nebraska teams, uh, great Miami teams. certainly Southern Cal uh, had a really good shot. Yeah. Uh, that's probably, I mean, you think about it, Alabama had a chance, And in in 2013, and they fell victim to the kick six.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. Yeah,
1: and and then um, uh, I I guess it was Southern Cal had a chance in 2005, and they fell victim to a last second play. It's young, right? Texas. Yeah, Yeah. it's really really hard. Obviously, and it's become uh, Kirby Smart, Georgia's coach. You know, he's hesitant to enter in this conversation at all as any coach would, you know, they're not, they don't want to talk about a, a three-peat and all that kind of stuff. But he, any football coach that's been around for a while has to be a bit of a historian. He was a defensive coordinator on that Alabama team that did not make it. in is, you know, it's just, it shows that, you know, luck is a big part of the equation to win an, a national championship, particularly in college football. And so I think the playoff, if you can get in it, It's like anything else. It's uh, baseball or whatever. If you're in a playoff format, anything can happen. You never know. And I I think that certainly helped Georgia. Georgia might have had a shot under Mark Rick had there been a playoff format. In fact, I'm sure they would have gotten a shot had there been uh, a playoff format then. Um, But now we're getting ready to expand even more. So I think it's going to give the opportunity to more teams for the chance to get hot and win one. So, uh, whether it happens again, uh, I don't know, but Georgia certainly has the best shot, uh, in, in, you know, 10 years and, and, uh, and, and they have a good schedule for possibly pulling it off.
0: If they are going to do it this year, what will be the, what will be their kind of bread and butter? What will will be the thing that, that they, that they ride to, to get to this third one?
1: Well, there's a quarterback change, you know, and, and yeah. uh, George's story, if you're familiar with it, uh, you know, the quarterback situation, at uh, George has been kind of crazy, and they ended up with a former walk-on named Stetson Bennett, who last time I checked is still on the roster for the Los Angeles Rams right now. Uh, he turned out to be a great player. So there's a quarterback change. Uh, Georgia has named their starter. It's a fourth-year junior by the name of Carson Beck, and they have a, a former five-star recruit by the name of Brock Vandergriff and another five-star recruit by the name of Gunner Stockton behind them. So I actually think Georgia has a pretty good quarterback situation. I mean, if Carson Beck doesn't work out, they'll turn to the next guy, the next five-star, which is kind of the thing going on. They're they're having um changes at both offensive tackle positions. Again, five-star, five-star, you know, are stepping in to the role. And uh both of those, uh, one of those guys played a lot l- last year. So, uh, you know, they got some questions at the running back position. They have uh eight starters, I believe it is, returning on defense, a defense okay. that only allowed 14.3 points a game last year. And I think that's what separated Georgia in this run. Uh, There's been great offenses. Alabama won with great offense. Clemson won with great offense. But Georgia's defense has just just been unbelievable. They've had eight first round draft picks in the last two drafts, twenty five picks overall. Most of those guys off the defensive side of the ball, and uh, I think that's kind of a, a separator for Georgia. They play they play great defense.
0: Yeah, one of those guys on the Vikings now, right? Lewis seen he was the oh man, last, what a great pick what- of the. First round of the twenty-two draft, so he would have been on the first of the national championship teams in this run. That's right.
1: Yeah, he was. He was a big part of uh of that team. You know, and another one of kind of what's happened with Georgia under Kirby Smart is just national recruiting. Like the state of Georgia and the city of Atlanta is huge, and per capita, there are more football players that come out of the state of Georgia and play Division One football. Either talking about per capita, even than California, Texas, Ohio, and wow. Pennsylvania, and all the 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 things. So that, that George always made a good living in its home state, but Kirby Smart has taken it to a different level, uh, recruiting players out of the north of Philadelphia, in particular uh, Pennsylvania, and and uh, you know they have Brock Bowers, who's from Napa Valley, California. Hmm. Uh, they had Darnell Washington last year, from Las Vegas. Um, they're they're recruiting nationally now and that's what's got them going toe-to-toe with Alabama and Ohio State every year
0: we talk here plenty about transfer portal because I think some of those kind of you know teams that want to rise up or maybe don't have that kind of five-star classes every year need to supplement I'm curious what what's the impact of the portal been at a program like Georgia in the last few years
1: well, you know, amazingly, Georgia took zero players out of the portal last year, and they took three this year. Well, four, if you count one that's a walk on that came from Tennessee. Um, uh, and, you know, the portal to me, and it's an issue overall, is a place where the rich go to get richer, right? Yeah. If you, it's yeah. like a it's a free waiver wire you know and if it, if you in fact uh i've been talking about georgia has some depth issues in their offensive backfield and you're kind of like why didn't they go grab a guy out of the uh out of the portal to play running back for them um but uh uh georgia you know brings in four two of those guys are going to start for them this year uh, one of them uh was the leading receiver they got two of the – they got the, the leading receivers off of mississippi state In Missouri, and the guy Dominic Lovett, who's coming to Georgia from um, Missouri, is going to start for them in the slot. So he's making immediate impact. The other side of it is this has been not written about all that much. Georgia sent 14 players into the uh, wow
0: this past year. A lot of those guys,
1: you know, those guys went to Alabama, Nebraska, a bunch of A lot of those guys are going to start there. And they left because they weren't going to start at Georgia. Bear yeah. Alexander to Southern Cal. Um, so it's kind of like, I mean, Georgia can sort of unload some dead weight there as well. Uh, and this happens at, at, at certain programs. I mean, uh, certainly Alabama has been yep. able to take advantage of it that way. You know, Texas, Ohio State, Michigan are able to use the portal the same way. And, and, and for that reason, I think a lot of times the rich get richer out of it.
0: Yeah, a couple more things for you uh, Chip Towers really enjoying this conversation a t- chance to talk not just current Georgia football but just the the history of of all this. Um maybe kind of going back to the story you wrote was there anything that surprised you at all? I mean it, I'm sure it's kind of a new subject to you but it, was there anything that you were just like wow like I not just I didn't know that but that that's that's wild and that that, that 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 was completely unexpected to me.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, certainly I, I was I was unaware until this entire thing happened of, you know, where Minnesota was at a program as a program um, for many years under uh, Bernie Bierman. But, you know, also, you know, I learned a little bit about the current Minnesota program. I mean, I think they got good things going on there. Uh, I guess. What was it? Just twenty nineteen or so. Um You know, Minnesota has been uh, playing in some major bowls. Um, I'd love to hear from you what the general outlook is for this season. I probably didn't drill down enough on that. I mean, you know, uh, in the craziness of what's going on in the Big Ten right now and, you know, conference and realignment. Uh, You know, I can't imagine, you know, Minnesota's basketball team and, and softball teams and things like that having to travel to the west coast to play games uh i think that's crazy where we are in in college athletics in general but football in particular um but uh you know i i love tubby smith tubby smith uh, had oh, a cup yeah. of coffee here at the university he coached georgia for 2 years and and uh i watched with interest when he went in, went there and and um and coached that great basketball program uh in in minnesota so uh a lot of a lot of things I, I can't wait to get up there again it's been many many years since I uh, I visited the land of 10,000 lakes and uh, uh, as it's been a hundred degrees down here for most of the last week, uh, I wouldn't mind coming there pretty soon. Uh, to be quite honest with you, <laughs>
0: don't don't come here too soon. It's supposed to be like almost a hundred here on Labor Day, but yeah, it's it's I'm sure oh, it's man. it's different. It 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 cuts different because we get maybe three or four of those a year, and you get a, a lot more of those. I mean, you know, what's funny is you're talking about realignment and the Big Ten is like SEC. I I think I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago when when we found out the news of you know those two other you know uh, West teams joining. The Big Ten. Like the SEC is really the only of the power conferences now that makes any sense geographically and makes any sense, like name wise. It's South and East, like, and it doesn't yeah. make any, doesn't tell you how many teams are in it. It's not like the Big Ten now with 18. It's not like the the Big 12 with 14 or the <laughs> the poor Pac yeah. 12 with, with four and soon to be zero, probably. It, it actually makes sense. The ACC might have. West Coast teams and now like the SEC at least still makes sense to me. And and you were asking me about the Gopher football team this year. I think they're in an interesting spot where they've they've had Tanner Morgan this quarterback for as long as PJ Flex essentially been here. And you know with the COVID um, years of eligibility and stuff like so they're turning things over to a younger quarterback now this year, Ethan Kallikmanis, and they are projected to maybe throw the ball a little bit more this year. I mean each of the last three full seasons they've won nine games or more you alluded to the the 2019 season when they won 11 they were in a hunt for a big 10 title that year so i think i think this is a kind of an important year for maintaining a certain water level even as you're maybe rebuilding a little bit because the the really good programs don't drop too far even when they're maybe not ha- not maybe not at their peak
1: yeah, uh, you know the new word that I've learned through this conference realignment thing is contiguous. That's a uh, Greg <laughs> Sanky, the SEC commissioner is so proud to uh, you know to spout that word at every opportunity that hey, you're well, the SEC. We remain a contiguous conference because all the states are touching each other. That <laughs> uh, you know, as opposed to having to take jets for for everything, but it's still a long way uh, you know, to college station, Texas from Athens, Georgia, I can tell you that. And, uh, it's crazy what we're going through. I do think if expansion continues in the SEC, that Virginia and North Carolina, two more contiguous States would be the ones that the SEC, uh, most look for people. People tend to spout about, uh, Clemson and, uh, Florida state, but, Uh, the SEC already has representatives from those states. And really at this point, it's more about TV markets than it is about, you know, the, the, the uh, uh, pedigree of your athletic program. And so I think Virginia and North Carolina are certainly on the SEC's radar, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy times that we live in between uh, NIL, the transfer portal and conference realignment, uh, you know, and Sometimes I I don't feel too bad about being pretty close to retirement. <laughs>
0: well, and these are only things they could have never in their wildest dreams imagined 85, 90 years ago when the Gophers were the last team to three P. I think Georgia's got a great chance this year. We'll we'll see how the year plays out. It's 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 going to be hard for them to miss the playoff at the very least. And once you get in, like you said, there's there's the kind of anything that anything can happen. But that once you yeah. get there, you're you're two games away from from doing it, and you're not at the whims of a voter deciding, hey, I'm tired of this team being the champion and things like that. So I think, I think there's a good chance for it this year.
1: Yeah, I think there's a really good shot at it. And, uh, and if it happens, I'll be calling you and I'll be calling, uh, you know, all those folks up there in Minnesota that I talked to for this story. And, uh, you know, again, a- everybody there was so kind and generous, uh, you know, to take my calls and kind of have fun with the story. And I appreciate you calling attention to it.
0: Absolutely. Well, speaking of kind and generous, appreciate your time as well. Go back to all the stuff you've got up in the run-up to the season. Uh, Chip Towers from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Appreciate the time, and we'll, uh, hopefully we'll talk to you down the road.
1: Absolutely. Take care.
0: Just to follow up on that, too, uh, ESPN had a good piece that's kind of detailing all of the teams that have tried and failed to win three in a row since the Gophers did. I'll probably write about that a little bit more on Wednesday as well, so check for that on StarTribune.com. Some real close calls, some really good teams like Chip Towers and I talked about that didn't quite get it done. And they, and it's just kind of crazy to think that 87 years ago, I guess it was, the Gophers were the last team to three-peat. Georgia might do it this year. We'll see. A lot to happen between now and you know four months from now when a champion is crowned. But they are looking pretty good on paper right now. We'll see if the Gophers' place in history still stands or if Georgia comes and takes their place. Let us finish with the cooler, like I alluded to at the beginning of the show. Some not-so-great results on um, on Tuesday night. It was one of those nights. Twins lose to the Guardians. Gopher Volleyball loses to Texas, and the Lynx fall to the Mystics. Three outcomes that obviously did not go their way. Twins had a chance to move eight games up in the AL Central instead. That's six not the end of the world, though. If they, if they can get the last game of the series, this matinee today, I believe that Sonny Gray is supposed to be pitching. If he comes out and does a good job, if they get that one, get the lead back up to seven, then there's just three left with Cleveland this year. They would have to be feeling pretty good pretty good about themselves. Even if they lost today, I still think feel like they'd be feeling okay about themselves, but a win today puts them in pretty good shape. Go for volleyball. Of course, they wanted to beat Texas. Texas was number one earlier in the year before an upset. Um, at the beginning of the year, dropped them a little bit in the standings. But that's, you know, early in the year, go for volleyball. I don't worry about that too much. They're trying to get themselves sorted out. New head coach, Keegan Cook. It is what matters most in October and November rather than early, or I'm sorry, late August, that really matters to, to to form opinions about that team. The Lynx took some hits there in the playoff race with that loss on Tuesday. They are still almost a lock, though, to make the WNBA playoffs and four very winnable games here down the stretch to conclude the regular season. If they can get a couple of them, three of them, maybe they can get a favorable seed, get up into that top five, at least avoid those three really good teams at the top of the WNBA, maybe get themselves a chance to advance in the WNBA playoffs. So a disappointing result, but all three of those teams, still plenty to go the rest of this season. That'll do it for me today. Good stuff coming up on Thursday show, expecting to be joined by Bill Garen, Wild General Manager. He will be speaking to me out at the fair right around noon today. Come check that out. If you're at the State Fair, come to the Star Tribune stage. I will be interviewing Bill Guerin live. We'll be using that later on on Thursday's podcast. So if you miss it, you can hear it on Thursday. Hey, maybe listen to it both places. No crime in doing that. But anyway, Bill Guerin will be my guest Thursday. Bobby Nightingale covers the Twins. Or the Star Tribune will be my guest on Friday. So good stuff coming up the rest of the week. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Back at it again tomorrow.